Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo. This show is produced by Ben Murray. On today, we're bringing you a special bonus episode. We brought back Chase Martin from uh, episode 15, if you'll remember him. Uh, incredibly funny and interesting guy. And uh, we, you know, we thought it'd be fun to have him back and talk movies. Today, we're going to be talking about the iconic Vietnam War movie by Francis Ford Coppola, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is the story of a rogue Special Forces colonel, Colonel Kurtz, who's played by Marlon Brando, who uh, goes on embarrassing the U.S. High Command in Vietnam by fighting the war in his own uh, inhumane way. Side note, Colonel Kurtz actually seems to be an OG podcaster in the film, and we do have a couple laughs about this. Martin Sheen plays Captain Willard, a junior officer tasked by the Army and the CIA to kill Kurtz. Although not explicitly said in the film, Willard appears to be part of the Phoenix program, which if you want to nerd out on Vietnam history, you can go look up. Willard's orders are to take a small Navy patrol boat and its crew up the Nung River, which we can think is a fictional version of the Mekong River, to, quote, uh, terminate the colonel's command with extreme prejudice. Although many people who have and haven't served love this movie, not everyone's aware that the screenplay is actually an adaptation of an 1899 novella called Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. In the book, a sailor named Marlowe tells a story about how he traveled through the Congo River to meet a successful ivory trader named Mr. Kurtz, whose success relied on, quote, unsound methods. If you haven't seen the movie, you may be lost in this episode, so I highly recommend you think about putting us on pause until you do. Even better, if you get a chance to read the book, it's only about 100 pages and you can pick it up for about 10 bucks. Another cool way to explore the story, the original story, would be to go to YouTube and search for Orson Welles reading Heart of Darkness on the radio. It's really cool. It's only about half an hour, uh, and it's it's just, I mean, really cool vintage radio from like 1945. It's a vintage radio show, so it's great. If you have nothing else going on in life and you want to dive even deeper into this topic, you can catch a documentary called Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse shot by Coppola's wife, Eleanor, uh, which is really interesting if you already love the movies. Great behind the scenes and uh, just kind of incredible to see how this uh, film actually came to life. Lastly, before we get into it, I wanted to say this episode will be brought to you ad-free, courtesy of our Patreon patrons, uh, who we love. To find out how to become one, head to patreon.com slash thankyounowwhat or follow the links on our website. Thanks, and let's get to the episode. What's happening? just uh, about to fill in Ben, so I'll do, I guess I don't know how to do that. I'll try to do this in a backwards session. My dad, I'll do it, this would be cool. My dad got really good test results. Uh, he beat cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So now we don't have to go through the roller coaster of like the, uh, oh, how did that turn out? Yeah, I flew home like two weeks ago because my dad got uh, leukemia. And so I had I decided to go stateside while he goes through chemotherapy. Yeah. And uh yeah, he just kind of like beasted the whole thing. Well, like yeah. in a matter of weeks? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Like the last week, he's just been complaining about the paninis I've been giving him and stuff. So I'm like, wow, man, you really are like, <laughs> like a punk ass. <laughs> uh. You know what I mean? So, so I'm stateside now. Okay. 
but I think I'll be for like another month, you know, something oh, like cool. that. I just thought that uh, yeah, Chile was in the same time zone. That too. They are for right now. They're going to go into the winter and then like, but they're going through hell right now. So when I left, they said, you know, you can't come back until we go out of a state of catastrophe, mm. which is what they're currently calling whatever they're in. So, yeah, it's like, uh, declaring a state of emergency state of catastrophe sounds a little cooler though well not cooler but more uh it sounds awesome but like really what it is is just they're like all right everybody has to go outside and exercise from like 7 till 9 30 and then there's just a bunch of thieves like circulating around stealing women's cell phones that's like the whole thing and then everyone has to hang out in their apartments all day wait you what they have to exercise yeah dude yeah, they give you an exercise time and you can go out into the street and the cops won't bother you. And then the rest of the time you have to be in your apartment or your house. Can't go out. Jesus. Nothing. Yeah, it's crazy. So like you just have like they have a puppy mafia there. They got a bicycle mafia and they got a cell phone mafia. And sometimes they all converge into one. And so that's like the whole name of the game. They're just snatching these things using those... um Oh, God, they don't have them here, but they use like an Uber Eats bag. Oh, yeah? And they're just going along, stealing puppies, throwing them in there, grabbing phones, throwing them in there, taking off, is, you know, like two guys on like a moped with a gun. Is that what happened to Lady Gaga? She, yeah, something like yeah. that. I think personally what they do, I know what they do in Chile is they grab the really designer dogs and then they set up their own impromptu breeding operation because huh. you can like make a nice little profit off that ideas you know what i mean people are <laughs> people are gonna find ways that. to be industrious <laughs> yeah it's incredible dude yeah. how are things going up in new york you guys both up in new yeah. york yeah yeah i think it's still uh not much has changed in the last year i think people are people keep talking good. about reopening <laughs> and well no, i mean not much has changed to like bring it back from how shitty it's been over the past year oh god yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I think the mayoral oh, elections this year, I, though, right? Ben, right. is that right? Yeah. Because you got Yang. New York. Yeah, you got Yang running. Yeah, and then Stringer. I don't know if de Blasio did too many terms and he's out or what. Can he not run they again? they have limits for the mayor? I don't think he can run again. Do they have term limit? Yeah, they do. But then, uh, like, Bloomberg. He... What do you go after that? If, you, if you're done with being a mayor, I guess you go for the governor. Uh, or you could be Trump's lawyer like Giuliani did. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. But I don't, re- yeah, I don't know what happens after the mayor. Maybe governor, senator, who knows? I don't know. Whatever politicians, Jeez, whatever man. politicians do, find a way to get, you know, dug in deeper. How do you get into shadow government? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do we still have that? I remember there was a I'm thing sure we- during the Cold War, we had shadow government. And then if, if everyone's killed in a nuclear war, we get these guys. Whoever they are, I don't know. Well, there's some people that think we already operate under a shadow Sweet. government. But if we talk about that on the podcast, we're going to get yanked. <laughs> yeah. Wait, are you talking about uh, <laughs> uh, the Q- yeah. QAnon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're going to have some. Oh, they're going to have some like uh, you know robot scrubbing our audio. Be like QAnon. What the hell? And Apple's going to drop Do us. Have- Spotify is going to go on strike. <laughs> And fucking no one can. Do you have a favorite QAnon uh, conspiracy theory? I I couldn't identify any. I couldn't. I have one. Oh God, I have one that is my favorite. Without question, drinking the blood. So remember when? uh, No, the mole people one. That's my favorite. 
It's when the 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 uh, hospital ship docked at New York. Trump sent it up there to secretly take care of the mole people children because they were being used for human sacrifice and pedophilia operations. And so that's why the ship, they had photos of it and it was empty. And there was just like two Marines like hang out in front of it. But really what was happening is at night they were getting those uh, mole people onto the ship, mm. caring for them and then getting them back out. Pretty Where do the mole man. people live? Like underground? They live in New York. They live in the, the metro, the subway. Mm. You never heard about them? Yeah. That was a big thing in the 80s. That's yeah, like, still uh, happening. They were real. There's, like a, the there's a movie about it. Yeah. There's a book that yes. came out maybe in like 2000 or 99. There was a movie about it. But there's not a bunch of kids. Yeah. It's like loner. Yeah, there's no kids. It's an adult yeah, operation. Loner hobos. You know, it's like, why stay in a shelter when you can be underground? Wasn't there a... Oh, what was this movie when I was a kid? It was horrifying. The People in the Walls? Yeah, people under the stairs. People under the stairs. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, if you went yes. back and watched it now, Dude. it would probably be like the corniest shit. But I remember as a kid, yeah, uh, it was creepy. Nineteen ninety one. Did they have? Yeah, so uh, I remember sick. they were just really dirty. I remember they were very dirty and uh, pale white kids, and they wore like overalls and stuff. But I don't remember if they had mutations. Not sure. Yeah, but they were. Yeah, that was terrifying. Were they deaf too. Oh yeah, one they each had that kind of hear no evil, see no evil thing going on. I think each one had a disability. Yeah, I think that fit yeah, into I that. I think if I watched it now, it, it would be terrible. But uh, as a like six, seven year old kid, it was creepy shit. Yeah, it doesn't really hold up. But you know what? That kind of leads me to, to wonder: like, when was the first time I saw Apocalypse Now? I believe when I was in high school, and I did not have the mind and the capacity to to digest that that film mm. but seeing it each time new layers that is a fantastic film but i love the book did you read the finish the book yeah of course yeah great way to segue Kicks back ass, and steer us back into the episode yeah sorry i am uh, <laughs> i am the rudder yeah the, the rudder the rudder on the pbr that is this show <laughs> yes pbr street gang dude holy shit i uh there's so many ways to take this i don't know how do you guys do you are we want to bounce this off of our kind of a personal lives, right? That's the kind of idea. Sure, we could do that. Of, we could deconstruct the yeah. uh, the movie, the you know, how it ties to the book, how you know did you so to to uh prep for this episode, I mean I spent like probably seven hours collectively. So I rewatched the movie. I went with the redux, which is like three and a half hours. Holy shit, yeah. And yeah, watched Hearts of Darkness, which is like the making of the movie that was filmed by Coppola's mm. wife. And then yeah. reread the book here. Uh, also, you guys should go listen to this when you have like a you know half hour and you're not doing anything. Look up on YouTube Orson Welles reading Heart of Darkness on the radio, like a radio show back from the 40s. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's got all like the you know, the, the dramatic opera music, like, bum, 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 you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, I think a book was written in 1899 and, you know, 120 years worth of people taking different spins on it. Also want to just yeah. throw out that there's a excellent Iron Maiden song, uh, where the lyrics are like out of the movie and, uh, it's got a, I mean, it's Iron Maiden, so, you know, it rips. Um, really? Yeah. 
going off the movie, not the book. Uh, yeah. Where? Uh, well, yeah, because in the in the song they they talk about like the warrior poets, which I think is the movie, not the book. Um, but they, I, it, some some yeah. of the, some of the lines are straight out. Um, but it's a sick movie. We should we should put it in the episode until we get. We're gonna keep yeah. music in in the show until we get sued. Uh, but you know they say they say any <laughs> yeah. press is good press, and then there's one last one. Which have you guys ever watched the TV show Community? Yeah, it's yeah. uh oh yeah. Have you seen the one about Hearts of Darkness, Ben? No, I just saw the first couple episodes. Great, great series. It's, though. Um, yeah. Oh, it's a great series. So they have an episode they have an episode where they're filming a new commercial for the community college and the dean of the school takes on like Francis Ford Coppola from from Hearts of Darkness and he's like he's over budget, <laughs> he's firing people, he's he's making them redo scenes 50 times. He's like oh, he's like squatting in his <laughs> office with no clothes on, like covered in dirt. It's uh <laughs> it's a pretty ridiculous episode. Actually that led me on to the uh to the you know the bonus movie, the documentary. Dude, the documentary was crazy how they fired Harvey Keitel. Yeah. That was the one I had to go into into the YouTube scape and find out exactly why and the interviews from him afterwards. And pretty much Coppola just felt, just had a kind of a gut feeling that he wasn't right for it. Yeah. But then also, not to mention, Keitel was like, hey, I'm the only guy with military experience. I'm a Marine. You know, I can, you know, kind of, I can, I think I'm going to be able to outlast and take anything this place throws at me. And then other people were like, I don't think he was built for this. <laughs> I don't think he would have lasted in the jungle. <laughs> they were like, he's a little too Hollywood. And that's when they scooped up Martin Sheen, who was just like bedraggled and perfect. Mm. I mean, I don't really know what a... I think he played that as like a dude that is just haggard. Yeah. Perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. That guy really had jaded, you know, worn down. Yeah, I think he science, they picked man. him up and he was like Jesus. 36. He was out of shape. Yeah. He was staggered, as you say. He had a heart attack during the filming because he drank yeah. himself silly and crawled out in the street and got picked up by a bus and they read him his last rites and then someone from the crew like went and picked him up, dusted him off. Yeah. They spent a few weeks like shooting... Uh, they spent a few weeks just shooting scenes like over his shoulder with his stunt double just so they wouldn't be burning money. Then he's, you know, all of a sudden comes back to life. He's like, oh, I feel great. Talk about that like two weeks in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. So, so you got yeah. Martin Sheen. So in, in the, you know, I think when I think of Vietnam movies, the, the first three that come to mind, I could be missing some, but the first three are apocalypse platoon and hamburger Hill. Not Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, Hamburger Hill kind of goes under the radar. Platoon was my first. Apocalypse Now, and then Hamburger Hill. Yeah. And each one giants. But Platoon, I saw when I was eight years old or nine the first time. And uh, that had the biggest impact on me. Hmm. That was, yeah. How about you? You guys, what was like the first one you've seen? I'm surprised. I, I uh, think probably Full Metal Jacket's Platoon not on as there. well. What's that? Oh yeah, Full Metal Jacket. I'm just surprised you guys don't have Full Metal Jacket on there. That's like one of the tops. Yeah, yeah. I uh, 
Yeah, I think Platoon, too. But Full Metal Jacket is kind of like two movies. And the first is just like being a Marine, which, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You could probably relate to more than me. But. Yeah, it's just kind of like a a, a, a more cruel Lord of the Flies. (laughs) Yeah. That was brutal to watch. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that movie made me very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And things like that did happen in boot camp. And I went, oh, this this is. Doubly uncomfortable in real life. <laughs> it's terrible. Fuck this. Ugh. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I remember uh, watching uh, Platoon, and I remember seeing the scene where Tom Berenger and the, the gang take over the Vietnamese village. And that was probably my first, like, wow, this is a war movie. Yeah. This is incredible yeah yeah where he just executes the lady yeah that's right didn't you shoot her yeah that's right yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's that's like one of johnny depp's first uh movies too right and he's he's the translator he's speaking vietnamese there's a ton of people that yeah they had him in there oh my god of course he had william defoe he had a couple other dudes that were starting out in their career and then, of course, they had the the military advisor, yeah. that guy, that, that Captain Dale Dye. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I almost said Dick but, Dale, uh, but I think he's the guitar guy. <laughs> yeah. But so I was going to say, out of, out of my top three Vietnam movies, you have Martin Sheen in Apocalypse and then Charlie Sheen in, uh, in Platoon. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then, just to round out that acting family, you know, you have Emilio Estevez in Mighty Ducks. Yeah, what's the latest work he's pulled off? What's he done? I don't know. Is he gonna? You think he's gonna come around? He's gonna do the Iraq War? Yeah, maybe. he's gonna do Afghanistan. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he's yeah. Come back as SEAL Team Six Commander. Yeah, exactly. God, Jesus, man. You know, when I watch that movie, I think about like, you know, talking about the themes of the movie and the book. And I would say one that strikes out to me is that they are, these are people that do not fit within the program. These anti-heroes, like it's a, it's a fairly ambiguous, well, it's a, it's tough to put your thumb on Kurtz yeah, as being like the bad guy because you are kind of set up with these two distinct poles where you have and my feeling is that you have this the mission if you will or you have like the grander scheme of the company in terms of heart of darkness Mm -hmm. or in terms of apocalypse now the the you know the the winning of the war against the vietnamese and defeating communism and then you have kurtz in apocalypse now who is just unbridled raw brutal violence Mm -hmm. this guy is is just pure what i guess you could say evil or in the movie in the book heart of darkness this is a company man who is going to extract resource at any cost you know and you're pitted in the middle where you don't really have at the end of it a good idea of who the whose side you're really leaning towards who's the bad guy you know yeah i think that's what both of these these pieces of work kind of leave you with yeah i mean did you feel like you had one affinity towards one side or the other where you would have fell in line with 
would you have you been the the company man or what is you have like put on face paint and joined kurtz so he's got another uh <clears throat> so willard isn't the first person they've sent on this mission because there's another guy there's some gr- yeah. green Bay captain who they sent and who you know kind of got assimilated by kurtz and he's there when willard colby yeah, he's there when Willard gets there. Yeah, yeah. So are you? Yes. Are you Colby? Or are you Willard? I probably Willard. And if you notice in that scene, there's like six Colbys. There's like two black dudes. There's two white guys. There's some. So there's like five of them. There's a whole bunch of them. Mm. And then technically, in a weird sense, I would count. Um, oh, Lance Hopper. The the journalist, the journalist, Dennis Hopper. Oh, yeah, Dennis I would count Hopper. him as part of the gang because he's kind of like the he's the sycophant. He's a, he's allured by the magic of Kurtz. Yeah, but he's not so much a participant. He's like the right. Harlequin. He's more of, in uh, in Heart of Dark. He's the Harlequin. Yeah. Yes, he's kind of spellbound by him, but you also get the sense that this guy he's also trying to fill a hollow space within himself. Like many of these characters. Yeah. I think in the, in a book, it's just like, you know, back in 1899, everybody was poor. So if you could try to like stay fed or make a couple bucks here and there, you would just do whatever. And I think there is a character in the book that is like Dennis Hopper's character. Who's just like the you know the the go getter, not the go getter. Sorry, the the uh, the gopher, like a guy that runs around. He's like, oh, he's a genius, you know. He's but back to your yeah. back to your original point. Like they they both have this air of getting getting the job done, whatever it takes. But then they feed on this, um, they feed on this like ability to create them to create something more out of themselves and so they both like become a god to the to you know the indigenous people that they encounter right i mean that's the common theme yeah but the 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 thing that always gets me and i i've been trying to like i've been this has been rolling around in my head the whole time and i would like to hear what you guys think as far as the take is is why did they even go out like the idea was Kurtz had all the artistic ability through all these different lenses of people around him. He's so smart. He's so charismatic. He is a beautiful musician and and poet. All these people were like, this guy is going to be the company man. Why did he leave the company and go into the wilds of Africa? Or why would Kurtz, Colonel Kurtz leave his, he was on the path to be like the, uh, like pretty much like joint chiefs of staff type guy right. and eventually a politician. But then he's like, I need to go to airborne school for some reason at 38 or whatever. And he's like, now I need to go to special forces school. And he's like, you know, trying to prove himself. And was that because the idea of this heart of darkness lives in all of them? Did he hear that echoing or that, that calling him to this uh this the to the wild into the jungle or was um like what what or was he kind of this was part of his path that he had to be jettisoned by this company to do this kind of work and uh but he just went rogue or he went mad i think that he both of them just relished in the power that they 
could exercise by being far from the world that they knew. Because you, mm. you know this from going to combat. Is it just, there are times where it feels like you're on another planet, like you're completely separated. And yeah, for some people, and in some bad cases, that translates into like, there are no consequences for what I do here. Mm. Uh, but then yeah. in the more extreme cases, like both Kurtz's, you, you know, you just, if you're at a position with that kind of power, you just decide that, okay, I'm going to rule these people like a God King. I think they're saying oh. that that, that lives in everybody like the, yeah, the, the, that, you know, to be able to do that. Um, yeah. The only thing I could connect that to is probably like last night in Bangkok, last night in Budapest, I can do whatever I want because I'm flying out tomorrow. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> going to know me. Nobody's going to see this. <laughs> but I, I, I would imagine I, I didn't feel I can't say I felt that to that extent in Iraq because we I was there during a time. And, and was just in line infantry. Where I felt like um, if you went beyond the pale, you would feel the repercussions. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I still didn't. I never really felt like I was so far beyond, beyond out past the, that crazy, um, what was that like wonderland that like the, the Dolong bridge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where there was like, boom, boom, <laughs> all the music and yeah. that shit. I can't say I went there. Do you, oh, think, you is, never had the, the surreal, comparison? the surrealism, uh, descend upon you. No. <laughs> well, is that the jungle? That's what I was curious. Like for you guys, like the environment of the jungle as an adversary is like dealing with that. Is that a difference? Is that something that they're contending with that you didn't have to, or, or when you do, is that something you just see it everywhere? It's like so, in, in the book and the film in the making of just being in that environment of unbridled growth to the point of like that creates its own insanity, its own, like death in growth and i mean you just see these people go fucking crazy whether or not they're in so i think there's this uh there's this theme of going back in time because at the beginning of the book he's talking to these other shipmates uh and you know he's saying like hey yeah we live in england but at, at some point, like someone came here for the first time and they probably looked on the shores of the Thames and called us savages. Right. And now we go do that. Yeah. Now we travel to faraway lands and, and we do that. And so then when he's on the river in the Congo, I underline some passages. So he says, <laughs> Going up that river was like traveling back to the earliest beginnings of the world when vegetation rioted on the earth and the big trees were kings. So I don't know. Well, it's it's tied in, you know, equally like the 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 vegetation and the dense forest are also just like you being able to move back in time. And that's what going up the river is, I think, in both scenarios. Right. When you pass Absolutely. the Dolong Bridge, that's like when you've when you've now left our time. Like they've they kind of after the Dolong Bridge, they they've left the war 
as they know it and started traveling back in time. Because in the redux, that's when they come on the French plantation. And the French people, he says, it was like meeting a colony of ghosts who didn't know they were dead or something like that. That was the line from the movie, right? And the French people, they're like, what do you mean go home? Like, we live here now. They're like, no, bro, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. And then, of course, getting all the way up the river, they get to the old, you know, like Cambodian temple where Kurtz is, which is, you know, farther back in time and, and, and even more mysterious. They even meet that back in time kind of time travel warp. Like they have that small little interstitial scene where they hop off the boat to grab some mangoes and they're traversing over these big ass trees and these stumps and they almost get attacked by a tiger. Mm. I mean, there's nothing more primitive and primal just to remind you, hey, yeah, you're watching a war movie, but also there is this this nature side this kind of thing, this uh, this emotionless, ancient thing that exists as well, that all of this is taking place within. And so it, it does kind of like um, subconsciously kind of communicate to you that this is um, uh, a much older world, yeah. um, less tamed world that you're about to run into. And obviously with the weapons, I mean, the methods of killing even just get more and more dated. Up to the point where that guy's got that weird, I can never find the name of that weird Laotian knife, hmm. that whatever that thing is that he's got, but gets to that point. I mean, that's what he uses to to slay Kurtz. Yeah, the same one that they're using on the uh, the water buffalo. What is that animal? The water buffalo? Was, yeah. I always think of them just so, slicing straight through the back of that thing's neck. It's brutal. Well, yeah. Like that. It almost journey, looks fake, but that was the real one. What's, that was the one they actually. I that was a real right. water buffalo they killed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there's like also when that. chief dies, he gets a spear through the back. He's <laughs> yeah. like, and he, there's this, there's this point where he looks down at his chest and, and he, he's like, he's like a fucking spear. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's in disbelief. He's like, this is how I die. Uh, And and then he, of course, tries to like, he fucking hates Willard, but he's, you know, he's a chief, like he's, he's, he's a senior enlisted dude in the Navy. He follows orders. It's his boat, but it's your mission. But then as he's dying, he tries to pull Willard onto the spear. He's like, you motherfucker. (laughs) Like, I died by a fucking spear. (laughs) Willard, in essence, took his son, um, Lawrence Fishburne's character, clean. Bling! Get on the 60! That guy, he dies, and so I felt like Willard... Willard, I don't know how you felt as a protagonist, but Willard was a protagonist that I didn't feel uh, really much connection to in the way I could... You could connect to a Marlowe from the book. Hmm. Yeah, what do you think... Willard was just kind of... Like, what do you think his journey was, or did he have one from beginning to end of that story? In my opinion, Willard's journey was really whether he was, uh, he was confronting the truth or the fact that he had this heart of darkness with him, that he had this same thing that Kurtz had and what he would do with it. In essence, would he? 
take the mantle, would he become like Kurtz and embrace this thing that he'd always felt that he was repressing by boozing all the time and keeping his hands busy with this kind of the work, the mission that kept him um, uh, uh, distracted from this darkness that was cancerously eating away at his soul? Or would he do what, in essence, he did at the end where he dropped that knife and he said, Mm, I think I've had enough of it, but that begs the question that when he returns to the real world, if he makes it back, will he just go back into the same, will he end up back in that Saigon motel, unraveling and unglued from reality, and then jump back into another mission? Yeah, I mean, at the end... His arc was not so distinct as, say, Lance. Yeah, he does say at the end... Lance. Like, you know, it's no longer, he's no longer part of the army, which I thought was an interesting switch where he says, like, you know, he's on his own. He's no longer part of that structure. Yeah. There's sure. there's a point where this, where the sane person says, we operate within something bigger than us, you know? Yeah. Um, there, it was funny that when I went back and reread the book, I didn't know that there were some, like, strict parallels and one was kurtz <laughs> says to willard they they call my methods unsound do you think my methods are unsound and he goes i don't see any methods at all yeah kind of like insulting yeah. him and they say it says the same thing in the book right and i think yes. in the another another difference between the kurtz characters and the so sorry just to touch on my what i think of willard because you asked mm-hmm. i think yeah I think Marlowe is kind of like the the any man sailor in the book. He's the he's the lens through which we see the story. And you know, he talks a big game with his, when he's with his other sailor buddies and he's not really uh self-critical at all and he's and he actually like mocks um he mocks Kurtz a lot, right? Uh, uh-huh. he's, there was some passage around like, well, we had a bunch of guns, but all they do is fire, you know, bullets, not lightning like Jupiter or Kurtz, you know, it's like mocking yeah. him for thinking he's a God or it was one of the last pages where, um, you know, he says, well, he died like he, he died like he lived and it, it implies like full of bullshit. Right. Um, cause yeah. he didn't, cause he didn't yeah. like him. He heard all these stories of him. He didn't like him, but I think Willard, they shared this thing about being an army officer. And so he's kept trying to understand him and he would always whip out the dossier and read more. And he would try to get into his mind where I think Marlowe was just, he was trying to understand it from a human nature perspective. But I think Willard was trying to get more personal with his understanding of Kurtz. But I think Willard is kind of a shell of a character because he only really exists within the plot of the movie. Because when he leaves Vietnam, if he gets out alive, he's going to be fucked and he's just going to be, you know, like complete PTSD wreck of a person, alcoholic. Yeah. As you see in the hotel room, he's just not there yet. He's sort of mid-career. He's halfway, halfway <laughs> getting there. And, uh, and he's you know, becoming. Yeah. The only thing that you know about him is he's from Ohio and he's divorced and it's not his first tour. 
Yeah, so we're not That's starting kind of off it. strong. Yeah, no. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said after my first tour, my my wife wouldn't speak to me until she, you know, until she brought up the divorce papers. That was the first thing yeah. she said to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's why um, Marlo shows signs of sympathy. He shows sympathy for the the Africans. He has that that death place, that place where all the slaves that pretty much are just too tired or too sick to work, they're dying mm. um, in this this grove. Meanwhile, some useless company man taps on a on a typewriter, typing out reports that you know to whatever you know. Uh, inefficient nonsense is going on at that that uh, station and then meanwhile you have a guy like uh, willard who is just no sympathy he's about the mission he mm-hmm. doesn't care about the troops he's with they are simply um uh tools they are just simply um organisms he has to use to be able to get further up river yeah and he really doesn't f- want to form a connection with these people you know? probably because he sees how many people die in Vietnam and he doesn't want to, you know, he's like, well, half this, half this boat crew will be dead by the time my mission's over, you know, air cav, they're all yeah. going to be dead. And, um, but I, I like what you said about the mission is a distraction, or if you just keep focused on the mission, you, you're unable to be distracted by all the other shit that you have personal shit you have floating around and i do want to talk about the opening scene in the hotel room because i think he gets a lot of it out then and go then goes on his mission and he probably has a pretty similar experience in his next hotel room but he's like all right you know i just i just i just did you know i did my karate i got shit face drunk the mps put me in a in a in a jeep and like now i'm good to go let me get this mission done and then i can go like spiral into some more ptsd you know a couple weeks after dude that was perfect the uh the caravan scene when they're in the little caravan getting the mission briefing and the 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 way the camera pans around is that perfect hungover point of attention that you have like you're just like <laughs> i'm staring at these small things just trying to hold it together yeah. <laughs> while listening to this dialogue <laughs> like oh my god it's so true it's that yeah. it's just you're like i can't let my mind stop or else i'm gonna throw up <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna come undone in front of harrison ford and this cia guy <laughs> yeah the general's double wide where they get yes. to eat uh, shrimp and steak, surf and turf. Have you ever seen anything like that? I remember in Bagram, they had a Burger King trailer, which I think only made me sadder. All that yeah. stuff made me really, really depressed. It, that that line that perfectly nails it is when uh, Colonel Kilgore and all of his boys are having the barbecue after their, their raid on the village. And they were like, everything they did to remind them of home only made them feel like further away and yeah. miss it more. And I was like, and that was really like the near beers that they used to give us in Iraq. Like we used to, have, our first sergeant would be drinking those, and he'd be like, "Hey, boys, like, yeah, it's Friday, it's party time." And I'm like, "This is not a party I want to go to. You wouldn't be at this party. It's just us dudes in our shorts. This party sucks." Yeah, but that was I, the uh, kind of the way it was. Yeah, I had a. Uh... I had an old master guns who used to drink the non-alcoholic beer and I would just be like, 
why? I, yeah. I still just don't understand why would why anybody would drink a if you drink a non alcoholic whatever just you know fruit punch is way better than beer or right. <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. I know, man. It's weird, but those kind of things to try to make us feel like. I remember the one thing that they did that made us feel further from home was when they had they had these things called uh, it was like a, uh, a marine telegram. So they had a system where you could send a letter, but instead of handwriting it with all like the actual human qualities of handwritten letter, hmm. you could just fire off a letter to somebody in Iraq with a tele. It turns it into a telegram and sends it to them. It was un- it was so bizarre, but that was, people were getting those all the time. Yeah, And it was pretty much just like, it was great to see, like, uh, to imagine in my mind that a, a computer is trying to discern and decipher, like, a 19-year-old stripper from Jacksonville's, like, letter, <laughs> run it through its super processor, and then send it to a, a 20-year-old in Iraq. I'm like, this poor goddamn computer. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, we expect out of our machines. Yeah, the 19-year-old stripper is like, hey, baby, you forgot to sign the power of attorney before you left. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I just had to pull a little bit of money out of your account before you come home. (laughs) When are you going to be home, by the way? (laughs) Yeah. I just want to be out of town first. Oh, fuck. Yeah, dude. I thought my favorite character to watch his arc would be Lance, without question. Oh, yeah? Lance was the true blue he went from tanning in the first scenes you're introduced to him couldn't be any more out of place in a war and you know his his chief complaints were like i can't work with these waves you know what i mean that's his whole thing and then he turns into a guy full face paint disassociated from his who he was at the beginning of the movie Part of the Hmong or whatever the villagers, part of the Colonel Kurtz's crew, and uh, fully part of the. But I think at the end, Willard grabs him and pulls him out. I think he says, I think he takes him, yeah, takes him with him. Yeah, because he was going to turn into one of those guys who just stayed there and was lost. And then Willard (laughs) finds him. Of course, he doesn't find the other American guys, but he goes and finds (laughs) Lance, like grabs him by the arm, is like, get the fuck on the boat. And then they just slowly back away. I always thought that the ending was, it wasn't unsatisfying, but it was just strange. Yeah. I guess two guys alone on a boat that have to go all the way back down. Well, it's not exactly safe either. It's not like the mission is yeah. not over. Yeah. If you, if you go, if you, if, if you were to literally parallel it from the, uh, or pull from the book, the, the idea is that the river then spits you back out. Like this, this savage world, it's like in Marlowe's journey, it was chugging along super, I mean, just super slow trying to get up river further into the savage Congo. And then when they were getting out, it was almost like that, that nature just said, expelled them from there. And they were back home in England. And then he had to, to have his moment where he had to make his great decision, whether to yeah. tell the truth about Kurtz or, All right. or just, you know, lie to his to his beloved or what he intended yeah i also love when he gets back that there was uh Kurtz was supposed to write some article 
for like the Department of Culture or something like yeah. that. Sub- he, subjugation of savages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the, uh, the suppression of indigenous culture or something like that. Like the Department yeah. of Suppression. And the guy gets the paperback and he's like, "What the hell is this?" He's like, "This is trash." <laughs> So like everything about being a, you know, an artist and a poet. And, and then he meets his stepbrother or his cousin or something. And the guy's like, oh, yeah. give me all his papers. And he's like, I don't really see how brilliant this guy was anyway. You know? And yeah. Then, and then the, uh, uh, she, I don't know if she's a widow, but his girlfriend or something is like crying. And, and, you know, he's like, he died just like how he lived, you know, a complete yeah. dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the heads in the garden, that to me, like, truly is like the only thing I could compare that to, to a much lesser extent, is like being away from civilization. Like in the sense, like when we were on deployment, we would grow horrible mustaches. It's very different, but that's what we're like. Well, no one's gonna see this, <laughs> so we can finally indulge. And I would assume the heads in the garden was just the ultimate antisocial behavior that you could come up with i'm trying to think of what would be the most yeah probably mutilation of corpses yeah and strewing them all about is something that you just go oh that person's really beyond you know what i mean i mean living like an animal in essence yeah 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 i think the first time you watch it you just think it's like a warning but then yeah, you know, I like the point that you made. And it, that goes back to actually Full Metal Jacket because the guy is like got his arm around a dead body. Yeah. When, when you know, he goes like, hey, it's my friend's birthday today, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ask him how old he is, whatever the line is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the people that play, those weren't fake heads. Those are people yeah. that sat in the little set with their heads yeah. sticking out. For like 12 hours while Coppola yes. was going insane, making them record over and over again. But they, they, they must have had. They couldn't come out, right? Or I they think had if to, they like lifted the, the top up, they could come out. But like they said, I was watching the documentary and they, they were like in between shoots, we would put umbrellas over the heads. <laughs> and these people just like sitting inside the little box of the, uh, of the Adobe <laughs> stairs. But when he tosses Chef's head on his lap, that's got to be, you know, that's got to be a prop. In their terms, they get paid like a fortune, like $3 a day. So they'll they'll do that forever. Yeah, Yeah, dude. They built that temple. Oh, yeah. They completely built that temple. And then it got knocked down, right? Like the typhoon knocked it down. down. They got to rebuild it again. Right. (laughs) My dad and my mom were over in the Philippines when this was all being shot. Uh, living in the Philippines. My dad was working for the embassy at that time. And uh, he didn't know about the filming of Apocalypse Now, but he knew all about the the Marcos government and everything going on then with the rebels and everything like that. And um, it was pretty serious. Pretty serious at that time. And uh, to be able to film a movie during all this, helicopters getting pulled off set to go and deliver real troops to real battles... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, it was in the capital. It was everywhere. Uh, so, uh, it's pretty incredible to do it there. I guess you couldn't do it in, I guess, Vietnam. That's too fresh out. Yeah. yeah. God, when you think about it, that would be about the same. Yeah. 
be like 15 years out from the war. It was like, they filmed it in 76 or 77, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's even more fresh than that. Yeah. Because it released in 79. Holy hell. Yeah. Yeah, So it's pretty fresh. Jeez. So what do you guys think? I I was really struck by the similarities between Kurtz and Duvall's character, you know, Kilgore. Like, did you guys see the similarities there? I think Kilgore is a bit more cartoonish than Kurtz. I think they did in the movie, they did Kurtz with a little more, um, you know, a little more sincerity than in the book, but Kilgore, someone described it. I think someone described it in the, in the documentary that if, if you were describing the Odyssey, Kilgore is the Cyclops and Mm. Willard has to outsmart him to get his boat in where he needs to. So he kind of plays along and he's because they just portray Kilgore as an absolute dickhead, you know, idiot, right? Who just happens mm-hmm. to be in charge of like a battalion of soldiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's 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 trying to he, he he's almost getting the enjoyment he can, but he doesn't actually participate in fighting so much. There's few scenes where he actually got a rifle in his hands. He calls yeah, in some for, airstrikes for, for senior Kilgore. officers. For senior officers, I mean, they walk around yeah. with a with a with a you know their hand in their uh, breast of their shirt like Napoleon and yeah, and, right. uh, and their their sword. You know, last time anyone's used a sword, but they're they're right. about like commanding the you know yeah the battle like and put Kilgore's- that over there, send this over here, and they and right. he, like he he's got this grandiose self-perception right and that's why he plays wagner right Mm. he says that the troops like it but he likes it more than all of them combined nah yeah or how about when he gets the water to the to the guy the the guy on the ground he's like all about the honor of of that and then he hears about the surf and just like (laughs) abandons him he drank potty water and he's like no can drink from my canteen and he's like wait yeah. fucking lance is here <laughs> just <laughs> drops it yeah it's incredible but he he he's beloved by his troops he has managed to distill he's managed to to earn their loyalty and love through the the gifts and the way he treats them you know he 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 does show love for his troops, but he obviously, for, I mean, uh, couldn't be summed up any more perfectly than when that amphibious Amtrak is coming out of the water and they have the microphone on it being like, we're here to help you, everybody. We're just trying to move you because uh, <laughs> get you away from the communists. And this fucking thing is just rolling right over one of their little hooches. And, uh, yeah. you know, this guy, I think if Kilgore and Kurtz were in the same room, uh, Kurtz would probably end up eventually cutting off Kilgore's head. I don't oh, think yeah. they would get along. They wouldn't be buddies. I think For they sure. are ideologically opposed. And one, um, you know, um, is just pure, uh, you know, distilled savagery. And the other one is, um, he's kind of having a good ride. He's like, sometime this war is going to end. Yeah. Like he, it's almost lamenting it. He's the like, way this I sucks. Saw it, the way I saw it, it's like you have on with Kilroy it's like a, a western imposition or it's like this is an external force and we're going to do it the way we do it and they know they're going to go home 
And I thought the comments throughout, like with Willard saying, like, you know, our adversary, they have two ways to go home. It's either victory or death. And then yeah. you have Kurtz, who does the opposite end. I didn't see him as as sad. I mean, he has the same type of loyalty from his troops. They love him. And he's harnessed energy in this other way where he's like, what did he say? Like, give me 10 battalions and this war will be over in a couple months. Yeah. Or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. And... But what so, was like the the what do you think would be like the magical entrancing kind of charismatic ability of Kurtz? Is it just that you get to tap into your darkest savage parts of your your uh your inner being? That's the idea? Is that what makes you follow a Kurtz? Because I would feel like I was like like where does this all end, my man? Like are we just going to go traipsing through the jungle until we get killed or just rot to death like in essence what happens to him because he is kind of this he he did kind of just get hollowed out by this whole experience yeah, yeah. i think that uh there's this mystique and you know when you're talking about kilgore he's he's leading very immature people so his immaturity just like we can see it as the as the observer but maybe they can't right same thing with kurtz his his like mindfulness or his genius there's nobody there that decides to call bullshit on it right because i think that both the you know the book and the movie um there's there's this uh this othering that goes on where kurtz uh uh, kind of um the people that he's leading are of a different world they're of the past they're perhaps like uncivilized as as, as we would perceive them or he does same as the as the people in the congo uh and he and he would just kind of like show up and i think there's a line in the book and how could they not think that he was some some sort of mystic power right so i think that's why they follow him I think Willard cuts through the bullshit by the end and is like, hmm. yeah, okay. Well, it's clear that this guy has to die. Like, I think by the end, Willard is making his own choice to kill Kurtz beyond just simply carrying out his mission. I mean, Pardon? that's been a big thing is how, like, you know, don't get off the boat, stay yeah. at the river, keep the river yeah. on your right sort of mentality. And he's gone yeah. into the jungle, and that's where you see that decay. Yes, I think that's where it really connects really well with the the book in the sense that the sailor Marlowe says, hey, you know, I liked being a sailor because I could be out in the wide expanse of the blue on this boat and I could kind of allow my imagination. I was safe. I was almost protected by being on this boat, but I only took shore leave just to go in and have this kind of superficial enjoyment and understanding of the port and the new country, but I never went too far off the boat. I never went straight too far. I always made sure to hop back on that boat and skitter away because if I went too far on land, who knows what kind of shit I would run into. And, uh, I think those that's a that's an intersection between the both uh, the film and the book. But as far as like Kurtz, remember the one line that he said he's like he wanted to die like a soldier on his feet, you know. Yeah. And um, 
And then, like, how perfect was that? Captain Willard, like, jumped him while he was making one of his dumb poems, like, in his fucking report. <laughs> like, he wasn't even, yeah. like, on his feet. He was like, and they drop fire. And <laughs> doing one of his, and the guy <laughs> goes up behind him with a knife. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> that works, <Yeah>. too. <laughs> well, his poems are, like, pretty fucking stupid. Yeah. When I watched, when I watched the movie when I was 20, I probably was like oh you know kurtz he's like so cerebral and you know he's like he's he's shed the uniform and he's you know like diving deep into the soul and that when i watch it now i'm like what kind of idiot is this yeah what is this slam poetry nonsense Exactly. <laughs> it's fucking pretentious is what it is. Yes. Yeah. I saw a slug on a razor blade. Damn it. <laughs> Shut up. Fuck so, out of here. <laughs> Listen by, to this. Uh, we had this like, I don't you can't even call it like a recurring joke, but like if, I, if we, a buddies from my SF team were out or, you know, we were drinking and it was like late in the night and everyone was getting haggard. You'd grab your guy by the shirt and pull him in and go, <laughs> and you go, last night I, I dreamt I saw a snail crawling on the edge of a straight razor. That is my, that is my dream. And you'd be like, whoa, man, <laughs> like, you gotta go home, buddy. You gotta go home. Uh, could you like imagine how if far gone? How far <laughs> gone are you? And he's like, he's talking in his little recorder thing, like with the his little mini microphone, <laughs> where I don't know how he gets like power or batteries yeah. for it yeah. in his Cambodian temple. Right. But this is the same shit that they're the snail thing is actually what they're playing back at the general's double wide trailer. Yeah, and you can see the both of them or all three of them, uh, or or four of them. They're like, uh. Yeah, he's fucking lost it. Like, what is he talking about? If you were that hungover, though, and, and I know living in Southeast Asia is so humid and hot and uncomfortable to be hot, like, hungover in that, would you have been able to maintain in that crazy questioning environment where all they're like, did you or did you not murder a tax collector on behalf of the VC? I would have been like, I, I am so, I need to, I'm going to go in the bathroom. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> well, he's got such... <laughs> He's got such canned answers because that's what, yeah. you know, that like, I cannot so, deny, I cannot confirm such a mission exists. And if it did, I would not hate us. Oh, my God. Can you right. imagine I mean, that's that? like <laughs> if he was super literal and they're like, you need to terminate the general's command and the colonel's command. And he's like, OK. And he just goes there. He's like, you're not in command anymore. And then he just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Kurtz is like, what? <laughs> Aren't you supposed to? I, I just came to tell you, you're not a colonel anymore. I'm sorry. It's over. He just it's... hands him a. He hands him a set of orders. <laughs> yeah. He's like you. You are to report to. Uh, but the the guy, uh, another great. Well, Turn in your SIF gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go to supply. Turn in your black pajamas. And your fucking recorder while you're at it. I don't want to hear any more of this shit coming back to us. <laughs> the guy oh says, uh, "With uh, that's where the whole with extreme prejudice comes, where it's like, yeah. You know, like, because uh, that's a great line you can use anywhere. Like, hey, man, did you have dinner yet? Yes, with extreme prejudice. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Dude, I, uh, you know what was an incredible scene that I think, I think probably when I was a kid, I was like, this is kind of boring. This is not the war movie I signed up for. But like the Playboy Bunny Ranch scene was awesome. That was incredible. Because when you look at that, you see this crowd get whipped into a frenzy. And even Lance, like Lance was the best in that. Like he takes it beyond to another, like he crosses the line. He's just like, show us your tits, bitch. And it's like, if you were in that crowd, you'd be like, damn, dude, like chill. <laughs> How long you been here, guy? But he really does. He, he not only they, they managed to dehumanize the enemy in the beginning, but they also start dehumanizing their own. And mm. what could be more sacred than what typically is seen as, as the women, the ladies, you gotta, you gotta put them on a pedestal. You gotta protect them. You gotta shield them from the monstrous things that occur in war. And, um, and, and Kurt or Marlowe does that in essence, when he comes back from Africa in lying to the women folk and being like, Oh yeah. He said like a bunch of really poetic, nice stuff about you. And like, she's like, Oh really? <laughs> and then meanwhile, like, these dudes, though, in war, they get one little bit of exposure with these Playboy yeah. playmates, and they're immediately just, they're going nuts. And so much so that they have to escape on a fucking helicopter, showing, yeah. shooting, uh, throwing smoke grenades out. So it's like, it's incredible. <laughs> That's such a great scene. And meanwhile, the Vietnamese are just hanging on a fence, just like taking this all in, like, what is this? This is this is a whole this is alien to us. Yeah. Did you ever have any like NFL cheerleaders come by wherever when you're overseas? When I was in the hospital, any kind of like USO? Not over, not overseas, but in the hospital, we would regularly have the um, Miss America contestants come through. Okay. And you know, like. Now at 35, looking back, how incredibly uncomfortable, weird that must have been. Because like I was 20 at the time, and looking at them, I looked at them as like grown, grown, grown adult women, but they were like 24, 25. Like they were pretty young themselves. So seeing them come through our room, they had their lines, their prepared lines to say. But oh boy, when they had to go off script. I mean, they're human. It was brutally uncomfortable when they go, oh, you know, thank you for your service. And I go, hey, you know, like, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling up. I just like, literally, I, this is my toilet. It's right next to me. I go to the bathroom in this. I haven't showered in you know, forever. Like a week ago, two weeks ago, I was in Iraq. Now, look at us now. Hey, and this, you know, and so it was, uh, it was super uncomfortable and weird for all parties involved when, when we went off script, you know. You know, yeah. when you when you had to really soak into the how surreal that was. Yeah. But uh we had a surreal masturbator on the floor too as well. <laughs> he didn't get, get any visitors. <laughs> he figured out the game. He went Kurtz. He was like, I can do whatever I want. They'll never put me in jail. That's from uh, that's from Platoon Two, where they're like, we had a guy who was jerking off eight times a day. He went to this. Full yeah. he, oh, full metal jacket. Yeah. yeah, he's like, we went to the psych. He went to the psych's office. He whipped it out right in front of him. 
It's true, man. Matt, God, Matt yeah. would you see when the cheerleaders get like, sent out your way? Stopping off. What's that? Would the cheerleaders get sent out your way? Like, yeah, were you, you, what was your experience like with that? Was it Afghanistan or Iraq? Where did you run uh, into these USO types? Um, this one, this was probably Iraq, but I mean, I think they go to both. But when you go to like the big bases, they're like super secure. I mean, just because right. of how long we've been there. Exactly. So you know, like a rocket attack where some guy pulls up on a pickup, shoots a rocket into the side of a barrier that's like three miles away from your little hut and you know, the base got rocketed. It's not like the people who are going out in like Korangal who right. are just, you know, having like the mountains rain shit down on them and yeah. they're like totally at out there. But if you're strolling around, it's kind of like, uh, it's, to me, it's kind of, um, demeaning to, to your own, not demeaning, but you think like, yeah, man, I'm in a war zone. Okay. So are the New England Patriots cheerleaders. It's pretty tough out here, isn't it? Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah. then, but then like, I, you know, when they come, what am I like, what am I going to do? Talk to you? Why are you here? I know yeah. what the, you know, all the young guys are thinking. And they're like, but that's, you know, worthwhile or sorry, that's a, that's a worthless thought to have at that point. Cause you know, they're just going back on the helicopter as soon as, soon as you start acting weird about them. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You smell. So it's like, it's one of those things flowers. almost you don't even, yeah, exactly. You would smell better inside my wall space. You're like, oh, God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it's almost it's one of those creepy. things when you say they, they try to make it seem like home, but you don't actually don't even want it there. Absolutely. I, I actually, when I, I went on a policy when I was overseas, I remember I told my family, I'm only going to call you if I can once every two weeks. Yeah. I was like, I really don't think it's going to do you guys any favors. It's not doing me any favors when I'm over here to even think or talk about home. I'm just doing it literally because, like, I don't know, because I just came up with that number, really, when I was at that time. But if it was up to right. me, I probably would have never communicated with home because every time I got off the phone, I felt hollow and gutted. I never felt better. I actually always felt yeah. like, oh, God, I'm never going to get back to that. You know? So I, I, I agree with you. Like I, I heard about God at Bagram, like like some people coming through, but we never we never ran into them. And in Iraq, no. But I think Jennifer Lopez made her way through there and Kid Rock at some point. We missed that. Oh but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, who's gonna go through now? It's gonna be like a Chinese TikTok star. <laughs> You know, like, uh, <laughs> hey, that's tall girlfriend and short boyfriend. <laughs> cool. You know, I mean, uh, whatever sensation is making its rounds. God. I saw some poll that, like, most, you know, 20 years ago, kids in America wanted to be astronauts and firefighters, and now kids in America want to be YouTube stars. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. Dude, Just... that's... <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. What would be, uh, well, you know what's apparently taking the storm is the, uh, in the world of uh, Chinese TikTok and YouTube is making copious amounts of food, doing work really efficiently, 
and then tall girlfriend, short boyfriend, which is in essence like the modern day freak show. Are you on this? Are you on TikTok? I just see little things on YouTube come up and I only like following the Chinese one because it just fascinates me. It's kind of like a seeing the 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 id, I guess it would be the id or the super id. I don't know. The, whatever that <laughs> whatever's going on under this <laughs> What a, I don't think there's a super id, but <laughs> whatever people want, whatever they need, and they go, that's that's what uh, like the you know what I saw which is great one. This is kind of you know connects into the military thing. Is a, is a Chinese soldier sleeping and someone trying to take their rifles and waking up, and that kind of is like indicative of like Chinese soldiers are always ready to. Mm fight wars that they're never going to fight. It's right. pretty great, I guess. Damn, man. We're getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> I careened this into a ditch by talking about Chinese TikTok. But I'm telling you, man, that's uh, that's the... What will a Kurtz look like in that kind of world? Fuck, man. In TikTok? Yeah. They have to go out and they have to get someone... <laughs> You've gone too far, sir. You started making 20-second videos. This is a short-form space of creativity. Stop trying to bring your highbrow 20-second vids into this. It's fucking brutal. Didn't they, uh, this is like way off topic now, but do you remember Vine? Yes. Which is like six-second videos? So I think Vine was owned by Twitter, and then they just shit-canned it. And then a couple years later, TikTok comes out. And eats their fucking lunch. Twitter is so poorly run as a company. Yeah. They just, yeah. I mean, they're not they making any that. money for their shareholders. They shit away Vine when it was the next thing. It is. It's, it yeah. really is the, de- it is the definition of entertainment pellet. I have taken my entertainment pellet for the day. I've got my little TikTok video. That's good. And now I can continue on doing whatever I have to, to do. You know, and you don't gotta. There's nothing more than that. Yeah, I. uh You know what? The one thing I gotta say is to go back into the film though and the book. The Vietnamese, because like whether you want to look at this film as an anti-war film, I believe it is an anti-war film. I think it's an anti. It it could be like a perfect like anti-hypocrisy, anti imperialism it's got many different lenses you could look at it through and you could you could take it much as you could look at kurtz through many different lenses but they didn't depict the vietnamese in any sort of way other than just kind of well they had they had a, uh, you know they had the peaceful village before it just got completely obliterated and then you occasionally mm. have the vietnamese kind of as as background um almost uh fixtures you know like this just kind of like whether they're part of the apocalypse now, like the, the, the Kurtz's army or, or what have you. But in the book, there is a depiction of this majestic African queen, you know, and the cannibals who actually get a little bit of praise. They're kind of like, Hey, these are savages, but these are like, these are dependable savages. They have some qualities that are better than these ineffectual company men, these creatures that just, they didn't get there by merit. They got there by the very sheer fact that they are the last ones alive. They haven't succumbed yeah. to yellow fever and chikungunya. 
and they're just they're rotting at this post and um these are really just they, these are big time critiques of the of the the company the colonizers the uh whatever you have it you know but would you call them would you yeah. consider these uh anti-war films or anti i think the yeah. book is pretty anti-colonial yes but i think that the the film i don't know is trying to be anti anything other than just being an epic itself like he's he doesn't really engage with the enemy at all there are these battles going on and willard and pbr crew are just kind of you know floating no pun intended through the the war to get to their one mission i think willard only i mean correct me if i'm wrong does he only fire like one shot yep unless he's spraying bullets at the tiger but he yeah. he kills that lady on the boat who's already dying. So he other can, than yeah. that, yep. Other than that, he doesn't really en- engage in combat. And early on, he says, "How many people I had killed? Well, there's the six that I know about." And you know, I think you, <laughs> there's some people where you kind of uh, you know you killed them, and there's some people where. You know, they were killed as a result of the operation, or you can't really like pick out yeah. who did what. But he says that early on. But then for the rest of the movie, I don't think he kills anyone other than let that lady to put her out of her misery, and then Kurtz at the end, and then they slowly float away. And then he goes up to Chief after he has to kill her to just be like, "I told you, you just drive a fucking boat." Yeah, I just want to get on with the mission. Like, now this thing like, is here did, dying. Why did we have? Yeah, why did we? Do you know that scene was come up or? You probably know that that the cast came up with that scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, we wanted to have some kind of adverse massacre war crime thing that we yeah. that we could do so that we could feel what it was like to play that out. Yeah. And I think Clean is perfect in that because there's a scene where he is this young kid and he is kind of representative of the youth that were kind of ignorant and thrown into this and they they weren't really um they weren't um um part of the program they were just having to do this they were kind of pressed in and there's here's this guy being driven by this machine gun this machine gun almost spraying has a life of its own and he's just behind it and then he lifts up his shades and he's like damn wow puts the shades back down like oh shit i did that holy hell like it was uh yeah. each one had their and did you like the thing with uh with Lance was incredible where after they got ambushed and they goes he's like where's the dog where's the dog man and it's like there was a great piece in an interview with him where he mentioned um why is this in the movie when he he asked he's like why would my character ask where the dog is where is the dog and Coppola replied the dog is incorporated into you you have taken some of the traits of the dog. You are becoming the animal. That's why the dog just magically sure. disappears, which is kind of weird and gets into that kind of magical voodoo space, but um, yeah. pretty fucking trippy. Yeah. He, he, abs- <laughs> he absorbs the dog? Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> How many times have you seen that over the season? <laughs> Did you guys have pets Jeez. in your outfit? Uh, No. We'd, I mean, we had a bunch. Yeah. We had we had working dogs. 
like oh, legit sense. army like army dogs yeah but no no one would really keep actually god I rem- oh yeah i remember one dude um he had like a bunch of cats in his uh in his hut and like no one wanted to room with him so people were always trying to be like yeah, get me out of this guy's he's like cats shitting everywhere he's feeding them they're like crawling under the thing it's like oh. get rid of these fucking cats yeah holy shit we had hedgehogs tons of hedgehogs man <laughs> yeah. yeah which are actually pretty agreeable creatures to have as far as a pet because they they stay in a ball they just kind of hang about eventually you kind of feel bad for them you go i, I think they could live a much better life outside yeah. <laughs> away from us so we let them free but we did pick up a dog for a short period of time but it was you know it was like kurt at the end of the film <laughs> we were like this is <laughs> I don't got a good feeling about this. This should not be our mascot. But yeah, yeah. that uh, that whole uh, apparently though the the cast were all whacked out on drugs while they were doing most of the filming, and to include right. even when they did that that wild kind of um, Dolong Bridge battle scene that night where they were truly like that was in essence I believe the the heart of darkness. That's where all of them were really. They were trapped in this shrouded, almost like uh, Dante's Inferno, like a level of hell, of wrath, just firing all yeah. directions at who knows what, you know. Um, what do you, what do you think about the guy with the uh, with the M79? Roach? Yeah. <laughs> do you think he was in charge? Where he's like, who's in charge here, Sergeant? And he's like, what is that? <laughs> he's like, well, the first guy what goes, ain't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. the guy in the 50 that's right uh, yeah. then the uh oh he's the, like, do you know who's yeah, in charge the he goes, the... yeah that's right he goes do you know who's in charge here and he goes yeah so either it was yeah, him. he doesn't give him an answer yeah, that's right it was, yeah. i think it was him i think roach was in charge i think he was a commander i think he had just given himself into it and he was just like i'm stuck in this world i've accepted it i'm not panicky pete with a 50 cal I'm just yeah. this very calm and collected man with a grenade launcher. He's kind of reserved. He's like, um, there was uh, this passage in a book where he's like, he says, they regarded, they already regarded me amongst the dead, and I didn't have any reason to disagree. Hmm. And I think that that dude was probably like, you know, like, I'm already dead. There's no reason to get upset about it yeah but he's a hell of a he's a hell of a shot with his dump gun yeah no he just go man. off sound yeah he just listen and they'll like aim it and then the guy was yelling all of a sudden stop yeah he's on the body he's not gonna shoot him not gonna hit him get roach yeah yeah that was an incredible scene that was i like the that poor special forces guy has to hand him that documents that only willard would later throw in complete form wouldn't even rip some of them up he just throw them in the river right before he got got to curse i'm like damn guy <laughs> how about the letter when, uh, that uh the other green beret what? sent sent back said that uh, sell the house sell the car <laughs> sell the kids find someone else forget it i'm never coming back forget it <laughs> it's a great it's a great great letter i wish i think a bunch I, they made a colby yeah, spinoff think- that'd be great Oh, yeah. I think it's called Seventh Group. 
<laughs> really? <laughs> Do you? Is there any guy that actually went closely along those lines that ever? I don't know. There's probably like a Vice article about some That's dude right. who you know, went back to Afghanistan and never, you know, he's probably yeah. strumming his own banjo. Jesus. How you it's said something about how slow the boat was. And in the book, they're like, we're eight miles away. Ah, we should stay here overnight. Like eight miles. But then you got to remember they're on like a steamboat, like a river steamboat where they have to burn wood to get <laughs> steam to drive yeah. the boat. And like eight, eight miles. That'll be about three hours. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you row eight miles in three hours? <laughs> yeah. Like what the hell? I just walk along the side of the river. Uh, but then I'm thinking like they said, uh, it says 75 clicks past the Dolong Bridge is where Kurtz is. And they've got to know exactly where it is because when they pull up, there's this, um, there's like the special forces camp sign. Yeah. So it used to be like a, it used to be like a fire base, but you know, seven, like 75 kilometers and that far. Yeah. They were going to be an airstrike. What was that, like 50 miles. Yeah. They got a diesel engine. They're going 50 miles, but maybe they got to like <laughs> navigate this, the shallow parts. But I just thought that that was funny that it's like this sluggish little meager boat. Right. And then back to the beginning or back to, you know, the other dude's story. It's like, if you're Willard, if I'm Willard, I'm like, I'm not the only guy on this mission. They probably sent like three of me knowing that two of us would die. Yeah. Like one yeah. guy, one guy went on a boat, one guy jumped in and the other guy, you know, got there by map and compass. Probably. I don't yeah. know, but they were like, <laughs> if I'm the general, I'm sending a few of these guys. Cause most of them probably ain't going to make it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I would have got Kurtz out of his camp with MRE trail. I've been like, let's <laughs> lay down enough <laughs> snacks. <laughs> he was fat dude. Brando, they pay him a, they paid him three million bucks for three weeks of filming. He shows up fat as shit, didn't read the book, yeah, and is spending like days wasting the whole crew's time not filming because he's like, so why is there a boat? Yeah. It's like, holy shit, man! I'm, I thought you're supposed to be like one of the most iconic actors. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love this like, process. He just shows up and he's like. Who the hell is this right. guy? <laughs> I gotta wear this goddamn outfit. Like if it were if it were Daniel Day Lewis, he would have enlisted in the army for ten <laughs> years first, right. and then shown up like already having a green beret. <laughs> God, dude, yeah. I uh, I think it worked though really well because like they did, they were able to give him this kind of. Like, they, they were able to give him this kind of ghostly apparition kind of uh, vibe by shooting him only partially. I think if you would have mm. had a full look at him, he would have, like, in a way, Willard obsessed about this guy and was doubting how he would react when he would run into him. He'd become kind of this yeah. mythological figure. And so I think to have him shown in a quote unquote human form too much would have almost like taken away from who he, what he represented or what he was, you know, supposedly built up to be to, to Willard before this mission or during this mission. Yeah. One thing that pisses me off, uh, is that 
Willard's like, I've I've killed people before, but this time it's it's an American and an officer. <laughs> like you had to throw that in there. Yeah. Like <laughs> some enlisted dude, you're like, uh, sorry, buddy, but, yeah. uh, but this guy's an officer. <laughs> yeah. Like he is a real, you know, the gentleman. Yeah. Uh, like they should have uh, sent some privates like, after him. There would have been no com- problems there. <laughs> yeah, no shit. What's the dudes? <laughs> like this is the kind of guy <laughs> you have to salute his car. You ever <laughs> running that bullshit? Like there you go. <laughs> yeah. Fuck this guy. They should have sent Barnes from Platoon. Yeah. Been done in an hour. Oh Christ! Yeah. Did, <laughs> yeah. This movie would be ten minutes long. You're like, all right, I killed him. You got anyone else? Right. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I actually uh, Barnes Barnes killing that Vietnamese guy that was running out of the village was the first time I'd ever seen a depiction of of killing in a war in a film when I was like eight or nine years old, and I thought, wow, oh yeah, because he sh- he shoots him in a full sprint from like 150 yards with iron sights. Yes, yes, like, and he does that's it pretty good shot. Cool, cold, calm, right, and then later as i would grow up and you know get into my teens and all this stuff i would see films like saving private ryan saving private ryan there was a little bit more of an emotional kind of heaviness attached to killing this idea of like you had the full spectrum where like you had tom hanks's character killed because he had to do this duty he had to he's kind of he didn't want to do this but he had to do it so he could get home and end this war and then you had that that weird translator guy in Saving Private Pl- Ryan's Platoon who, like, seemed like he just got butt-fucked he's all the time. He's fucking coward. Yeah, he's, like, super coward. And he, like, just doing this was, like, he was, like, just totally like, convulsing and, like, uh, becoming unglued, like, on the battlefield, right? And so I, I almost felt like then watching Apocalypse Now, it was almost to say that there is, um, there is a script that you have to follow that there is, if you do these actions on behalf of the company or the U S military or in the service of this war, there's acceptable things, but then there's a line. And when you cross it, that's what makes you an animal or inhuman. And, um, I think Kurtz and the idea of Kurtz is, 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 deciding or or uh questioning where that line begins you know this idea goes we drop fire on them but we can't write fuck on our airplanes <laughs> it's like <laughs> this this guy is like i don't want to follow this fucking script i just want to i don't want to feel bad about these certain things that you prescribe because i have to do these certain things and i i wonder how how this this is a, a rant, but how this shapes a person towards their relationship with violence and towards their relationship with exacting brutality on other people or other or in, in the service of a war or in service of an organization or in whatever have you. Um, is there a noble way to comport yourself? Or is it, or is it best to have like my favorite was the French scene where the the French widow, who was like, 
my husband had two faces, one that loved and one that killed. And like <laughs> the idea of like, can you switch and go between these two sides and, and, and just, and that's a way to live to say, all right, I'm home. This is going to be the love face. I'm going to be that guy and I'm going to do a hundred percent this. And then when I go overseas to protect hearth and home, it's going to be that killing face and it goes all out, does whatever it's got to do. You know? I think that it helps to see it as a completely different place. Then back to the T-bone steaks and the, you know, but the uh, fake beers and the cheerleaders, you don't want it to feel like home. Yeah. Yeah. You want it to feel like you were in a different, you are on a different planet. Right. Which is why like, you got to have respect for the people who are fighting on their home turf. Right. Yeah. That there's only two ways out for them win or die and then in the very beginning when he's saying every minute i sit here i get weak and when charlie squats in the bush he gets strong you know he doesn't get any off days he gets cold rice and rat meat i think is what they say <laughs> yeah and back to your point about not wanting to call home i don't think that you should right you, they're they try to give you some amenities but I think there's a lot that you shouldn't, you should refrain from partaking in because you need to stay focused yeah. in order to get out alive. Right. Cause you, you can't, you can't have your family used to talking to you twice a week over the phone or, you know, if you have like a, I mean, I think with your injury you probably didn't go back when they just had like Wi-Fi places, but right. Yeah. That you know, I think that was probably, or, like early enough on where you, you were probably still at the point where you were like buying minutes on like a public computer to check hotmail for two, you know, or like writing uh, letters, wrote letters, but Pete, yeah. 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 But then like, you know, in the, in the 2000 teens and even there now people just bring their iPhone. Right. They're like, Oh yeah. It's why wi- Wi-Fi iMessage. Yeah. How are you in the mindset to like, go into battle if it doesn't feel different to you. Absolutely. I felt wrong just having an Otis Spunkmeyer muffin on me in the sense of like, <laughs> I, I, disgusting. <laughs> can you imagine you get to hell and then you run Otis into the people Spunkmeyer you killed? <laughs> you go, Oh, I remember you. I think I killed you. And they're like, yes. And were you carrying muffins in your pocket at the time? Like, very good chance. I was carrying two chocolate muffins that were smashed. Didn't you say something Ah. during our episode where you were like, you were dying in the back of the truck and some cereal boxes were falling (laughs) on you? Yeah. (laughs) Gotta have my pops. (laughs) Fuck out of here. (laughs) Fruit Uh, Loops. All that bullshit. Nuts. I remember one time... I was told to get Otis Spunkmeyer muffins for the platoon. And I actually said this line in Iraq. Hi, uh, I'm from 2-6. I'm here for the muffins. We're the grunts. <laughs> we're the grunts, and we're here for our muffins, sir. Our muffin ration. <laughs> the fuck is this? Huh. Speaking of which, to, to slightly switch it up, and speaking of like decadence and indulgence, um, that scene of the French... While I loved it, I could see why Coppola ended up laying that baby down on the cutting room floor. 
because, boy, that was in direct contradiction with the book. The book's idea was this colonialism, this development mission, this, uh, you know, we bring the railroads, we bring the science and education and the light to these people. Um, in the book, that, that kind of throws that asunder. Well, at least very smartly, Joseph Conrad, seeking a, a British citizenship, pins that on the Belgian uh, civilizing mission of Africa. But um, the French, in typical French fashion, are like, you are fight for the biggest nothing. We made this fucking rubber thing. <laughs> we have this rubber. It's like <laughs> literally the thing mentioned as being the root cause of all the brutality in the Belgian Congo. <laughs> is this fucking rubber plantation. But that's, you know, that's the... But those French guys hanging out there, and then that the French guy's like, do you want cognac? He's like, no. And then ten minutes later, opium. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Willard. <laughs> Take the cognac. Oh, <laughs> Slow down, uh. guy. But did you like the French scene? Did you guys like it? I liked it. Uh, well, the first thing you notice is the smoke, and then later on his line about they were they were ghosts from a time that had passed like yeah. is that what the smoke was for like they were just coming, mm-hmm. you know but they had this you know they because that's right when they lost clean so they buried him they folded the flag they had like a little ceremony and then everyone changes into their suits and right. eats this is another fucking officer thing oh yeah but willard gets to sit at the adult table <laughs> with women with the guys in suits <laughs> yeah. And women and all the the enlisted guys are like on the back porch, like eat, <laughs> eating eating with the staff. Right? Yeah. He's like, I used to be oh. a saucier, and Louis, my God, who's the chef? It's like it's fucking idiot commanding the conversation. <laughs> yeah. As a French boy reciting poetry, I'm like, damn. Table rules. Yeah, I get I get the the history lesson. Right? It's like. I get that and going back in time. Yes. But it was a real pace killer. Yeah. Like that's where I'm like, oh, well, really? Well, We're going to have a dinner scene now? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, well, I mean, it's disorienting because sometimes I know I've, I've railed against amenities, but sometimes you get to like sit down and have a nice dinner and you forget for a second and then you have to get yourself back into the mode. Yes. Right when they step back when they step back on the boat, like they have to be game time again. I, you know, maybe they weren't. I, I had that to a very very small degree. I remember we were clearing. Um, uh, I believe it was Zidon. It was south of Fallujah, and we were doing a sweep through there. And we went into this house, and um, while everybody was searching and everything, I went into a room, and there was a kid watching. Where brother for art thou? And I sat down on the couch with him and just started watching the movie with him for a little bit. And then uh, I think people were like, hey, we got to get out of here. And then we were like, okay, let's go. And I left. But for a very brief moment, uncomfortable, weird moment, it felt like I was like, oh, wow, there's like there's people that live lives of like distraction and entertainment. That's not like uh, that's in a home setting, not in some weird hut with like six other dudes you know uh talking about jerking off and like just like dipping this was an iraqi kid he was an iraqi kid watching where brother frog though 
just watching a movie in his house. Yeah, with subtitles. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> but it was like such a, and a, that film is such like a piece of Americana. So I was like, oh my God, that is like, it was a lot. It kind of had me kind of, it was hypnotizing to a certain extent. Cause I was like, holy shit. Um, that I'm so far removed from this, like banjos playing yeah. and, and, uh, you know, Southern country, you know what I mean? What, uh, what movie was it? Um, uh, three Kings, right. Where the, where the kid is hawking music and he's like, yo, yo, what's up motherfuckers. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever run into a kid selling like fake DVDs who had only ever watched movies like that? And that's how he spoke in English. We had your classic mold of the Michael Jackson, like, uh, impersonators. We had a lot of those running. We ran into a ton of those guys that like could dance like Iraqi kids that could dance like extremely well. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we didn't have like any of the hip hop variety we had. Unfortunately, we had some that had been, I think probably exposed to way too many cycles of Marines. So they'd just be like, hello, fuck you. How are you? Pepsi penis. And you'd be like, Oh God, what (laughs) What the hell? But, um, that was the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah. With the French thing, Ben, didn't you work on Vietnam War by Ken Burns? Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, that was that was an awesome experience, and they kept it open to the end. So they bring in experts, people who had been there, and and screen it. And usually, like a filmmaker at this point, the film's pretty much done; it's locked. But they would treat it as this like big discussion and get everybody's opinions, and then keep editing up to the end, making changes, getting as many like perspectives as they could and getting the most brilliant people to come in and watch is pretty awesome whoa dude did you know uh, wait so the biggest thing with the whole the uh, ken burns vietnam series you worked on yeah i worked i worked on it like we did all the picture finishing and and putting it together Did you guys talk to french uh veterans from that war or was it really a focus on americans uh i don't know like at the at the point that we were at yeah it it was mostly americans And, and North Vietnamese. Oh, man. I worked in Vietnam for a bit. I was a gardener down on a, uh, in a, uh, a guest lodge down in the Mekong. And, uh, dude, the Vietnamese down there, you just get this feeling. The ease that they moved through that environment, barefoot, they were all through there. Incredible. I mean, just so incredibly tough, so hardy. For them, all these... Like if they, if they were living in a Vietnamese augmented reality, they would just see this. I can eat this. I can drink this. I can make into something. And for me, I'm just like, I'm sweating all the time. This fucking sucks. (laughs) Like I have weird things on my skin. I don't know what this is, but I'll address this later. You know what I mean? It was just, they, they were, that is a tough environment to live in. And those guys are incredibly cool though. And tough. Nothing dies in the Mekong. It's incredible. Yeah, it was uh, one of the other inspirations for this script I was reading about was uh, some articles in Esquire back in the day about Quezon. So I was was reading up on that, and it sounded like northern Vietnam was just like mists, mountains, and and spookiness. Yes. Yeah, I was up in uh, Sapa, and that mountain country, uh, it's always shrouded in mist. It's unbelievable. It's completely different from when you get down towards like Hue city and, and Danang, and then you get down to it's you got everything. It's got all Vietnam. It's, it's so diverse with its climate and everything like that. It's awesome though. 
Love it. Love it there. Is but it also we, like- we sure won in the end. Right now you have Ho Chi Minh statues and staring right at his one side of Starbucks and Colonel Sanders KFC right next to him. That's so terrible. <laughs> Dude, they're all all the girls wearing yoga pants. I mean, they everything. It's wild. But I did like actually I like that French scene only for the sheer fact that it led me down a road of self educating myself on the French in Vietnam and Indochina more. And this is a weird thing I mm. learned. It's completely like out of the blue, but did you know the French had maintained mobile bordellos? for their soldiers all the way up until 2006. Oh, six? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they shit. closed the last one in French territory, like French mainland, in the 70s. But they closed the one in French Guiana in 1993 because they said a Brazilian pimp complained that there was unfair competition competing with the French military. <laughs> <laughs> and then they closed the 2006 who do you go to the better business bureau or what he's like hey man <laughs> get all these algerian girls out of here and then they did the last one in go figure djibouti djibouti was the last one huh. 2006 crazy but they were all staffed from girl with girls from predominantly uh locals but also, the ones they imported were from this Algerian, the Algerian Atlas Mountains Highlands in, Al- in uh, Algeria, the place where famously belly dancing came from. And they go, let's bring in these girls. And oh, they right. brought them in. And they'd, they'd be in this uh, bordello unit. And that was their job. They get paid. They work as contractors. Wild, dude. I know, dude. We were such Puritans, our military. Near beers, no girls. Like we were, like probably the closest to like a like a monastic order, in a lot of ways, except for the muffins. Yeah, that was our bordello, <laughs> fat kid bordello. <laughs> Incredible. There was a couple things about the end. Yes. So I was at a point I was puzzled that Kurtz would. You know, take in Willard, imprison him, right? Put him in the in the stocks or the little bamboo cage, and then put him in a little cell with everyone peering through at him. <laughs> drop Chef's head on his lap, and at a point, does he think that he has broken Willard, and then lets him out, uh, and is mistaken? Or at a point, is he like, I'm dying anyway? If Willard wants to kill me, then fuck it. Like, which of those is it? Mm. I, I, I took it in a weird angle. And that I, I considered Willard as being tested, whether he has the metal to, in essence, act as a sin eater, as somebody who would slay Kurtz and then uh, mm. take his sins and horror and then do with it as he pleased. And, and what I would imagine is you have to, I mean, the horror, the, the final lines of Kurtz has to be addressed. And I take that as being a recognition of, uh, of, of him being fearful that his life is full of regrets and he's being swallowed up by this darkness. And he lived this kind of, 
shit existence, this, this, this existence between worlds. But, um, like he, he, he couldn't, he couldn't buy the bullshit, but neither could he be happy and fulfilled by what he created in all the same of being this God. Hmm. You know what I mean? What is the worst fate than getting exactly what you wish for? You know what I mean? You, yeah. <laughs> you know? That book ends the front of the story because he said, all I wanted was a mission and for my sins, they gave me one. You know, Kurtz wanted to become a god, and then when you see him, he's kind of like, you know, God on Wednesday morning. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here in my temple. These are my people. Yeah. Like, I'm going to record more poetry. Yeah, I've got a bunch of people. I've got no one. He's lone, in essence. He's a pretty lonely guy. Yeah. Well, he's got Dennis yeah. Hopper, who keeps, like, <laughs> screaming about, like, the diametrics. And just or kind of torments him. Like, he's almost like a pet. He's like... You know, one day, man, he said he's going to kill me, man. Like, it's just, Kurtz even thinks about, like, just smothering him like a fucking annoying pet. Like, I've got enough of you. Like, I'm sick of your presence. And it's, he, he's, he's got that dumb poem about flowers, begonias or whatever. I mean, he's not, he's not a happy, fulfilled dude. He's, he's not doing good. So. No. Yeah. How did you take no. the, the final lines? How did you guys feel about, what was the horror referring to? Well, first, sometimes when I'm drunk and alone, not with friends, before I go to bed, I just stare at the ceiling and say, horror. Horror. <laughs> 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 kind of drift off, which is just another way to keep yourself entertained. Steve and I call that the dragon. We believe that we're being swallowed by a dragon when we're hungover. I think, I think it's... It, I don't know. I'm split, so... I I enjoyed your your take on it. What I can add to that is that you commit these little small atrocities bit by bit over time. And when you die, there's this point of reckoning. And to look back on it, whichever version of Kurtz you are, and to try to take it in at once is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But also... At the beginning, you know, I think it's the general who's going on about, you know, in war, things get confused, but some things just, you know, cannot be overlooked. And there's a conflict in every human's heart, right? Whether to take it too far or to, you know, or, or to keep your sanity. And I think, I don't know, we think we think of Willard as like a pretty straight-laced guy for how insane he is, but he actually is capable of carrying out the mission and when he does when he you know slashes up kurtz he goes the horror like it's true in everybody's heart yeah right like that willard could savagely kill me like this now in the book he dies on his own so that's why i think it's the first thing i said ben what do you think and have you ever been in a state where all you, the only words you can mutter are the horror I think I've been in that state, but I don't remember uh, any any bit of it <laughs> or what I was muttering. But definitely when I woke up, uh, you know, that's the first thing that came to mind. Though, uh, let me see. Like, you know, I think I think you you got it as far as coming off the rails, coming off of going across the line, and and being in that dark place, the immorality, the savagery. Yeah being 
in that world and then at the end you know looking back and and having that hit you all at once i think it i there's something but does it say does it speak to the fact that maybe that this kind of savagery needs an operating system to be plugged into for it to be um tempered so you can live with it and this is getting into kind of a weird place, but I guess that's what, when simulation, virtual simulation, augmented reality comes to fruition, like that will be incredible because you'll be able to probably mirror the closest to having like a Colonel Kurt simulator. <laughs> you can go to fucking Anchor Watt and you can like cut off people's heads and do like crazy shit and go, hmm, I wonder if this is really what I like. I, if I really enjoy this, if this is something programmed into my animal savage primal being, or whether, um, ooh, I don't like this. I don't want to live with this. This is something I never want to do. Like, you know what I mean? Westworld. Yeah, Westworld. Westworld uh, takes there that There you on. go. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, if you if you start having a lucid dream where you realize you're dreaming in the dream, and then you can start exercising whatever powers, yeah. you're like, am I going to fly or am I going to kill this guy right here? Because <laughs> I know I'll wake up. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine we have a, a vr like a starbucks a vr you go to, i'm just in my simulator right before work i'm just murdering everybody at my workplace it's, it it's out. like uh <laughs> we're gathering I mean, the muffins i think that's why everyone's afraid of grand theft auto for the children yeah there you go anything else i took like a shitload of notes but they're gonna be all uh asynchronous if i just start ticking them off the sheet yeah you guys ever seen River's Edge? No. What's that? I was wondering if you guys ever seen River's Edge. There's a Dennis Hopper character that I felt is kind of like the sequel. It's like the next chapter for for this American journalist being that movie. Where is that? Does that take place after? Uh, yeah, it's like this 80s high school movie, but there's like the crazy vet who deals weed to the high school kids, and that's Dennis Hopper. I, I definitely will say this. The score of the movie took me out of it. That's one thing was my critique. I, I Sometimes I couldn't deal with oh, yeah? the score in the film. It was too synth. Like it would be... It, it, sometimes it would just... Took me out of the French scene. I think they could have gone with more nature sounds. I don't know. But that's just me. I, I know this is me speaking against the work of Francis. <laughs> so I might come off fucking way out of my depth. But I'm just saying... Well, I mean, once he made Godfather 3, I mean, yeah. Well, did he want Pacino in that film? He did. He wanted Pacino in that film originally, I think. He had a whole Rolodex of people that he could have called upon. Well, he goes uh, in the documentary yeah. he's going through, because um, he was going through the issues of Brando. Right. He's like, if I don't yeah. get Brando, you know, if I don't get Brando, I get Redford. If I don't get Redford, I get Pacino. If I don't get him, I get him. You know, so it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, okay. You are you can only call up, like, the most famous people right. in the world. We get it. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. It worked, though. Hell worked a hell of a lot better than Do- Island of Dr. Moreau, where he got even bigger and fatter. I think that's where that ice cream story came from, where he would row into the middle of a lake and he would just eat ice cream so he wouldn't be bothered. Brando. There's a doc on the making of Island of Dr. Moreau, another one on Fitzcarraldo, where you see Herzog going crazy in the jungle. Yes, yeah. Was that Aguiar? Aguiar, the conqueror of the world, is that one in South America? I think he goes yeah, nuts yeah. in that I, Well, one. I think where he goes nuts, it was the making of um, Fitzcarraldo, oh, which is also down yeah. that way, where 
where they're like hauling the steamboat over a mountain and they did it in real life hiring the, the natives and a bunch died doing it and it was just there was a, a time when like i think the natives were planning to kill Herzog, oh. but he like i mean just there was a lot going on oh that's a great one definitely worth checking out do you think they're ever going to make a uh they can make a good iraq afghanistan war movie when do you think that's going to come about? I, uh, I personally don't think it's... I think we're going to have to wait on that one for another 10 years. Yeah, I don't know. I think we covered... Uh, I talked about this with Nelson Miller. It's like, I like war movies, but they have to be before the conflict that I was in. Yeah. So I don't think I would like it anyway. I don't think I would like... I don't think I would, yeah. Unless it was something like completely wild like this, where it's some kind of adaptation where it's not really a war movie. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe I'll watch it. Kind of like Three Kings. Absolutely. This is not really a war movie. I, yeah. Uh, it just, I, it kind of takes place, you know, right after Desert One ends. But they're, they're moving through this kind of strange environment where they're not in direct combat with anybody. The Iraqis have already surrendered. There's some like holdouts. They're trying to like search for gold and yeah. all that. You know, it's not a war movie. It's kind of it's more of an epic within within a, a larger setting that just happens to be, uh, you know, a war uh, war place. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off. I, I think it will be a while, but they'd have to be definitely outside of the realm of of like uh, trying to be a realistic Iraq or Afghanistan movie. I don't think I can really. Stomach that. I've never watched one that, but oh, this is great. This really does it. No. No. We'll work on it. We'll get uh, we'll get Noah on it. We'll get we'll get us together, and uh, we'll come up with one, maybe. I gotta Noah's find got a 200-year-old cool book to to rip off into a screenplay. <laughs> yes. Was that bad? Noah's got a pretty good, good draft. He's working on a good script. Cool. Yeah, I could see it being a good one. Fucking A, guys. Hell yeah. Cool, man. I'm glad I could be part of this. Thanks, guys, for doing this. This is fucking awesome. Yeah, thanks yeah, for coming great. back. We want to do something off the beaten path a little bit and uh, get out of the straight-up interview and just talk about shit we like talking about. Hell yeah, man. Anytime, dude. Whatever. I can do any yeah, subject. <laughs> <laughs> just give me two days to read up on it. Yeah, <laughs> all right gentlemen we hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode of thank you now what please stay tuned for more if you like what we're doing please engage with us on social media or through our website or by emailing us thank you now what at gmail.com let us know what you'd like to see more of what you enjoyed and what we could do better you can also check out the website to see how to become a patron or supporter. Thank you know what.com. Now we'll leave you with some Iron Maiden to basically recap the entire movie in metal form. Thanks for joining us.
problem, you got 